Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, for those who don't know me, I am Pastor Beard. Actually, I'm Pastor Dave. I am uh, the youth and family pastor here. And uh, I am really excited this morning because this morning we have an opportunity to open God's Word. And I believe with all my heart that every time we open God's Word, if we are receptive to what He has to say, we're willing to listen to it, God will do some powerful things. Do you believe that? I hope so, because the Word of God is living and active. That's why we can read a passage a hundred times, and it can speak to us differently, because God speaks through His Word. So, before we do that, though, I want to ask you two questions. The first question I want to ask you is simply this, is are you ready to listen? Oh, wow, that's good. All right. A little more excited than the second, first service. Uh, here's the thing, if, because here's the thing is God has you here for a reason. There is no chance or coincidence about it. God has something for you, but you have got to be willing to listen. If it goes in one ear and out the other, you really shouldn't be here. All right, because we're here for God to change us. Now, here's the second question I'd say to you is this, is are you willing to live it out? You see, it's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to live it out. And here's the thing I find is this, is that God will challenge us and stretch us through difficult times. And, and if you follow him, it's not always easy, but God is faithful. And when he, we do follow through, God does amazing things in our lives. Because here's the thing Jesus said after the greatest sermon ever preached. Sermon on the Mount, he said this. If anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he is wise. But if anyone hears these words of mine does not put them to practice, he is foolish. And so my prayer is this, this morning you are going to hear the words of God. My prayer is this, is you will not be foolish, but you will be wise, you will take some notes, and you will actually live this out. I'm gonna try to make this as practical as I can for you so you can go out and you can actually live it. All right, sounds good? All right, let me pray, let's get started right, and let's give this time to God. Dear, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you have allowed us to meet together freely, because we know, Lord, this in some countries is illegal. And so I pray that we'd never, ever take this for granted. And Lord, as we open your word in the next few moments, we are gonna come face to face with you, and you have something for each one of us. So my prayer is this, is that we would listen to what you have to say to us. Lord, remove all the distractions of the week. Let us just put it aside. We can pick them up later if we really want to. But for right now, we wanna focus on what you have to say. Remove all the distractions, remove me, so that the words that come out of my mouth would be from you. And Lord, give us the courage to live it out because I know some of the things that you're gonna challenge us to do is gonna stretch us. But here's the cool thing is even though you call us to be stretched, you will be faithful. And if we are faithful, you will do amazing things in our lives. Lord, you are the potter, I am the clay. And I thank you so much for that privilege. In your name I pray, amen. This morning I have brought with me one of, the, I believe, the greatest toys of all time. In fact, when I was a kid, this was the ultimate toy. It actually fits in my back pocket. You're like, what is it, Pastor Dave? There it is. It's a piece of Lego, all right? How many of you play with Lego as kids? Okay, all right? Here's the thing, Lego is fun to play with, but very painful to step on. Did you ever notice that? We've all experienced it, we're like, oh, I've stepped on my own Lego, my kid's Lego. In fact, that should be the slogan, I think. Fun to play with, 
painful to step on, right? But here's the reason why I believe that Lego is the ultimate toy. Because what it does is this, it stimulates your imagination. It inspires your creativity. Remember as a kid, I would spend hours building these really cool structures out of Lego. When my son was a kid, when he would open uh, Lego on Christmas, I would get more excited than he would, all right? Because even as an adult, I loved building those Lego sets with him. There was like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Indiana Jones. All I can say is this, is the Lego sets today are a lot cooler than the ones I had when I was a kid, all right? But I lived through my son, it was great. But what I want you to understand is this, is a Lego piece on its own, listen to me, it's not that impressive. In fact, you can't do much with a Lego piece on its own. But if you take other Lego pieces and you begin to put them together, what happens is this, is you can create some pretty impressive things. I don't have enough to make something really impressive. It's stairs, you like that? No, I don't know what it is, okay? But here's some, here's some pictures of some pretty cool Lego things. Look at this one. This is a shark, life-size, made out of Lego. Next one, okay, for the DC fans, this is Flash actually running really fast, all right? This is the next one. This is a car made out of Lego. Now, the engine is, the engine is not made of Lego because it would melt, but the thing is that it actually does drive, right? The, now, the tires are tires, but here's an interesting fact. Do you know that Lego sells more tires than any other company in the world? For the toys, they have little Lego tires. It's actually a fact. You can go yeah, look it up yourself, right? All right, so there it is. So it's pretty impressive. So here's the thing, is when you take these Lego pieces and you begin to put them together, it makes a bigger impact than just one single Lego piece. Because here's what I want you to get. Together, these pieces are better. Would you agree? Right, all right, here's where I wanna go. The same thing is true, I believe, for us as human beings. We can do more together than we can do separately. Yeah, we can do a lot of cool things on our own, but if we get together and do things, we can make a bigger impact. Now, I wanna say this though, there's a big difference between being in a group of people and working as a group of people. Being in a group of people doesn't guarantee success in anything. But if you work together as a group of people, that can be a, a game changer. Because any successful group, either now or in history, the reason they were successful is because they all shared one key component. And it was this, unity. Unity. Now, all of us would agree that unity is a good thing, but the problem is, is we don't always experience it. You know, maybe you've been on a sports team where everyone wanted to be a star, right? And so they didn't work together. Or you're in a group of people where they're more concerned about their own interests than the interests of others. And here's the sad thing, listen to me. I believe that that mentality can creep into the church. And so my question this morning is this, is why do we struggle with unity in the church. Now, there's probably many reasons, but I kind of came up with three basic ones that I think are kind of good. The first reason is this, is because we're all different. We're all different. We all share one faith in Jesus, but we have different likes and dislikes. So it makes sense that it is tough for different people with different likes and dislikes to be on the same page about anything, even faith. 
Second reason I would say is this, is because we don't all agree on what Christianity looks like. Right? We have one faith, the same faith in Jesus, but it plays out differently for everyone. People express their faith differently. Here's a big thing. They worship differently. I find that in my own family. Okay? When I worship, this is me. Okay? I'm a classic Baptist. Hands in the pocket. All right? If I feel God move, I may sway the hips. That's just me. I'm worshiping, and I'm experiencing God, and what I'm doing is fine. Here's my son. He's washing the windows, right? Both are fine. Both are fine because we're worshiping the same God, and we both have a relationship with Jesus, which means when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, myself and my son are both coming to the Lord. We're just doing it differently, and that's okay. The problem is, is we make divisions, okay? The last reason is this, is because we are all at different places in our relationship with God. We all have one faith in Jesus Christ, but we're all at different points in the journey, right? So, someone who's been a Christian for 30 years has a lot more maturity than someone who's born again, right, a new babe, do they both have a relationship with Jesus? They do, but they express it differently, and that is okay. And so whether you've been in the church for a long time or whether you've been in the church just for a short time, here's the thing. You have probably experienced that. And deep down in your gut, what you're saying is this. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this the, really the way that God intended? Well, this morning, what I want to do is this. Is I want to look back at how the church actually started. Okay? Now, many of us here this morning, we know the story about Jesus, right? We just celebrated Christ Christmas. Jesus came in the form of a baby as our Messiah, a long-awaited Messiah. He grew. He, he lived a life that was perfect without sin. Therefore, he could become the perfect sacrifice. He willingly allowed himself to die on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, he conquered death and sin by rising from the dead. Uh, and what that means is this, is he opened the way to God for us. Now, that story is recorded in the first four books of the New Testament, written by four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you have never read that, I want to encourage you to check it out, because it is a story that will change your life, okay? But this morning, what we're going to do is this, is we're going to look at what happened right after that. Luke, he wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote another book called the book of Acts, and that gives us a glimpse of what life was really like at the very beginning of Christianity. In fact, it shows us the actual birth of the church. So we're going to park ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So if you've got a Bible or an iPhone or iPad, whatever you have your Bible on, I want you to turn there because I want you to see this for yourself. Now, don't worry if you don't have a Bible. All the scripture is going to be on the screen. But here's the thing. If you are here this morning, listen to me, and you do not have a Bible, you can't afford one or you've never gotten one, come and see me afterwards because we have a Bible for you. Because we believe this. Either it's Pastor Donald or Pastor Glenn or myself. When we preach this stuff, this is all comes from the Word of God. And so we want you to see it for yourself and we want you to go home and wrestle with it. 
Right, and so if you don't have a Bible, please see me afterwards. I would love to get an NIV study Bible into your hands. So please see me after. Now, in Acts chapter 2, what we see is this, is we see a group of believers. These are what we call the early believers. And the cool thing about these early believers is that they had unity. And so this morning, what I want to do is this, is I want to give you three qualities that were evident in these believers that I believe strengthened their unity. And we're going to see these qualities actually in this passage, all right? So you want to write these. I'm going to give you three words, just words. And I want you to write them down somewhere maybe in your Bible or on, on a notepad, whatever you have, or in your phone. Write these three words down. The first word is this, solid. Solid. These believers were solid. In fact, when you think of solid, what do you think of? For me, as I was thinking about this week, two words came to mind. The first word was this, anchored. And the second word was immovable. These believers were solid because they were anchored in what they believed and they were immovable by their culture. In other words, they believed a certain thing and their culture couldn't move them. It couldn't because they were anchored in the truth, in the word of God. It says this in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 43. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, I read this passage and two things hit me. The first thing is this, is simply this, is they believed the Bible. They believed this. They didn't question it. There was a lot of pressure from the culture to believe different things, but all they were concerned about is what God thought. And I love this. They didn't make it about someone else's opinion. And so follow me here. They focused on the word, and they never got distracted from it. And I love this part. They were all committed to the same thing. They were committed to the truth found in this book. And so because they were committed to the same thing, this is the great thing, is they actually moved in the same direction as they lived this out. So they heard it, they listened to what God was saying, and then they began to live it out. They encouraged each other with the same truth. And they held each other accountable to this. Not their opinions, but what their creator said. And I love this part. They weren't afraid to speak the truth. But they did it in love. As a result of that, because of their commitment and their obedience to the word of God, look what happened. God showed up. It says this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen to me. It wasn't the apostles doing it. It was God working through the apostles. And I believe this. I believe the reason why God was moving among them was because of their level of obedience and commitment to this. As they lived it out, what God saw pleased him. And so what he did is he began to move in some pretty cool ways. 
And so my question or my statement to all of us today is this. If we want to see God move among us as a body of Christ, we've got to begin to be committed to this and be obedient to it. Because when that happens, then that pleases God. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to show myself in some pretty cool ways. That's what he did here. All right. First word was what? Oh, good, good, good. You're with me. Okay, second word. It's another S, so you can remember it, okay? They'll all be S's. I'm, gonna, I'm giving it away ahead of time. Here's the thing. The second word is this, is they were selfless. These believers were selfless. Now, we live in a very selfish world, so did they. And so the question we have to ask is this, is how do you stand out in a selfish world? Well, you act selflessly. It means we understand that it's not about what we can get, but rather what we can give. And you see, these believers wanted to make a difference because that kind of behavior makes a difference. It makes you stand out. It makes you different. And so they chose to be selfless. And I love what this says here. It says, all the believers were together, verse 44, and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, when you read this, you will notice these believers were selfless in two ways. First of all, they were selfless in who they were. So in other words, they were humble. It says they had everything in common. What that means is that no one thought they were better than anybody else. We were all children of God. We were all loved by God, and guess what? God doesn't have favorites, right? And so they had that common plane. They were humble. They realized that. But the second thing was this, is they were selfless with what they had. It says this, they sold their stuff, their property, their possessions. And then they gave away their stuff to anyone who had need. And what I love here is this, is they didn't loan it with interest, They gave it freely, expecting nothing in return. And as I read this passage, I have read this passage so many times. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible when it comes to the church. And I've read it so many times, and i got to admit to you, every time I read it, I am amazed at their perspective on their stuff. And the reason why their perspective was good is because they never, they always valued people more than possessions. You see, if you value people more than possessions, you have no problem giving it away because you value people. But if you somehow get that confused and you value your possessions more than your people, more than people, the problem is this, is your whole perspective will be skewed. It'll be so tough for you to give things away. But these people are like, hey, you're in need. I'll sell this. I'll sell this. Here you go. Don't bother paying it back. Why? Because we have this connection. And so the cool thing is this, is this whole idea of selflessness, it actually brings us together. It unifies us. The last word I want to give you, the first one was what? Second one was what? Nice. Last one, another S, is sincere. These believers were solid. They were selfless. And they were sincere. Now, what does it mean to be sincere? Well, this is the way I would define it. It's not, it's not a Webster dictionary or anything like that, but I would say, let me say this, it's to be real and transparent. That's the way I look at sincerity. Not fake or two-faced. What you see is what you get. Right? And these believers were not about playing games. 
They were real with each other. Warts and all. In fact, get this. Look at verses 46 and 47. It says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness in their hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Let me ask you a question. How, how often do they meet together? Talk to me. Every day. I read this and I go, man, how do they not get sick of each other? I'm telling you right now, if you had to meet with me every day, I would get on your nerves. Okay, you're like, no, you, Pastor Dave, you're so sweet. Ask my family. There are times they go, Dad, I think you need to have some time alone away from us, right? They love me, but I know I can be annoying. But these people were like, you know what? We just love being together. And so they're like, we're gonna be together all the time. And they cared for each other. I mean, they truly cared for each other because they were real. And get this, they showed up in each other's lives in a sensitive and non-offensive way. I think we have no problem showing people's lives. We just do it insensitively and we're very offensive. But they did it in a very sensitive and non-offensive way. And what we understand is this, is they got something here. They realized this, that together they were better. It's okay to be on your own, but together we are better. That's what they thought. Here's the cool part. Because of that, some crazy things happen. Look at verse 47. The last part of it says this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Two things happened because of the unity this church had. First of all, these believers made an impact. Their love and concern for each other made an impact on everyone around them. And here's the cool part. They saw an increase. It says, people were being saved daily. And it wasn't because they were going to the door necessarily, but it was because the world, the culture, saw how these people loved each other and they wanted to be part of that community. Here's one thing I've realized. Whether you believe in God or not, if you're a human being, you are made by God. You can deny his existence. Doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Because he is far bigger than you. And I also believe this. If you look at the creation story, God created man and woman in his image so that he could have a relationship with them. And so what that means is this, is every human that was born had a void that God longed and so desperately wanted to fill. But when man walked away and we denied the existence of God, we still have that void. We may not know what that void is, and so what we do is this, is we fill it with anything and everything we can fill, but the problem is, is it never fills it. It's temporary, it doesn't last, it causes a lot of problems. But here's the cool thing, is when we love each other as a body of Christ, what happens is this, is we're loving each other based on the love that God has for us. And that love is different. And so what's happening in this church was this, is these people were loving each other in a way that the world had never seen before, but they're like, man, I wanna be loved that way. And so they walked in the door and said, okay, you guys love each other, why? And they say, we love each other with not a love from the world, but a love from God. And they're like, I want some of that love. You see, they were on by what they saw. And it was the love they had together that drew them. I think everybody wants to be part of that kind of community. 
They do. They want to be loved in that way. They want to be loved by God. The problem is, sometimes, I'm not being mean when I say this, but as Christians, we kind of distort the view of what God's love really is. By the way we live and by the way we act. And so, here's the thing. We see this early church. They're doing great things. So how do we make this real for us? Because I'll be honest with you. If we don't put some handles on this and you can't take it out and live it, then we haven't made wise use of our time. I believe every time we open the Word of God, Jesus always preached to application. He didn't just preach to knowledge, right? Because application of knowledge, a truth, is what changes our lives. So, I don't know if you know this, but before Jesus left, get this, he actually prayed for you. You're like, no way, Pastor Dave. Yeah, he did. He didn't know my name. Okay, well, he didn't pray for you by name, but he prayed for you. Let me show you where. John chapter 17. Jesus, it's, it's the last up upper room, okay? He's about to leave, but he prays this. So these, these are some of his last words. Some of it says, John 17, verses 20 to 23. It'll be on the screen. Just look, watch this. It says this. My prayer is not for them alone. Now, who he's referring to here is the disciples because he's just finished praying for the disciples. And now he transitions and he says this. I also pray, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Let me tell you something. The reason why you are here today is because you believed through their message. This is us. Listen to what he prays for us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent them. I have given them the glory that you gave to me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought, get this, to complete unity. Not just unity, but complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved, have loved me. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus is about to, to be crucified Things are about to change. This is the last time he's with his disciples, okay? So the things he's praying for are pretty significant. And of, out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, he chooses unity. And because he chooses unity, in my mind, I don't know about your mind, but in my mind, I go, that's important. Now the question is, why is it important? Jesus says it here. He says, Unity is important because it is the evidence to the world of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Do you see that here? Or am I the only one seeing it? Do you see it? Okay. Now here's the problem. As the body of Christ, if we're not unified, what's the danger? The evidence is gone. Jesus said this, they have to be unified. Lord, please, because I know that if they see the unity within this body of believers, then they're gonna see the evidence of what you did through them, through my death. And that's where the power is. That's what changes lives. If you bring Christianity down to a thing, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his death, his resurrection, and the fact that he made the way open for us to God. But you realize this, that Jesus also gave us a command. 
just a little earlier in the passage, or in, in, in the book in John uh, 13, verses uh, 34 to 35, it says this. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you, that, uh, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is a powerful passage. Like I said, this is before Jesus was wrapping things up. He said, this is it, guys. And what he was saying was this, is they are going to know that you belong to me, not necessarily by what you say or by what you do, but by how you love one another. And it doesn't say how you love all the Baptists. What it says is how you love anyone who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And see, sometimes we get skewed with that. You see, we are a body of Christ. And if you profess Christ, no matter how you express it, we have to be unified. And I'm telling you, we better get used to it. Because when we get to heaven, we're all gonna be there, right? You're not gonna be able to say, hey, why are you here, right? We're gonna have different forms of worship. We're gonna have all that different stuff. But we're all gonna be unified, why? Because we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we've all agreed to that. You know, one of the things that uh, we've really, as youth pastors in Sarnia, one thing that we've really done is this, is we have realized that our students don't know denominations. They don't. They're like, what's the difference between a Baptist and a Pentecostal? Don't we all love Jesus? And we're like, yeah. And so what we've decided to do is this, is we have decided to come together on our love of Christ and the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And as youth pastors, what we've done is we've, now, don't get me wrong, I hold to the, the Baptist, Baptist things. I, I love my denomination. I love what I believe. But it can't become a point of contention or division. And so what we've decided to do is this, is we've decided to come together and be unified as God, as Jesus prayed. Because we've realized that our students don't see that. And so every month we sit together, we pray for each other, we pray for those ministries. We've kind of bonded together. We're actually going to begin a worship thing. We're going to have Baptists and Pentecostals worshiping together. You got to come check that out. It'd be cool. It'll be fun. All right. But the great thing is, is I'll tell you something. Some of my closest brothers in Sarnia are Pentecostal youth pastors. And we don't see eye on everything. We're okay with that because you know what? We love Jesus. And Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is what's getting us to heaven. And we have a community of students who are lost. And we've got to stop dividing up. We've got to do this together. And so in our high school ministries, it is a beautiful thing. In fact, someone asked me once, they said, what is the highlight of your ministry? It's the high school ministries. It really is. Because we, I see brothers and sisters in Christ coming together, reaching these students for the Lord. And we hold to the fact that Jesus is our Savior. And we're seeing that unity. You see, that's what pleases God, and that's what we need to do. Because here's the thing, if we can't love our, feather, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then we will never experience that unity. And here's the thing I want you to get, listen to me, listen to me, okay. 
If Jesus prayed for unity for us, that means it's important to God. And if it's important to God, who's going to try to destroy it? Satan. We can't forget who the enemy is here. And the thing is, is God's called us to be unified together. So, what do we learn from the early church? Well, this is it. When it comes to unity, it starts with me. When it comes to unity, it starts with me. If we want to experience unity within our church, Temple Baptist Church, let us say, we have to be spiritually healthy. Because if you're not spiritually healthy, you will not experience the kind of unity that God wants you to experience. And so this morning, what I want to do is this. As we apply this, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Is I want to give us three reflective questions that you need to wrestle with. If you want to experience the kind of unity that God's called you to, you have got to wrestle with these questions. Okay? And these questions all relate to the three qualities that were demonstrated by the early church. Okay? The first question is this. Write it down somewhere. You've got to ask yourself, how solid am I? How solid am I? You know, when I think of this, I'm reminded of Paul's words in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, if we want to be solid, Paul tells us this, that we have to be rooted and built up in Christ. In fact, one version says this, I love it, it says, let your roots grow down into him, referring to Jesus Christ, and drop, new, uh, drop uh, new, nourishment from him. You see, if we, we need to ask ourselves, when it comes to our lives, think about this for a moment, how deep are our roots? And how solid is our foundation? You know, the one thing I've realized when it comes to unity is this, is I've realized that it's all about relationship. Let me explain what I mean. The stronger our relationship with God is, the stronger our relationship with each other will be as believers. Okay, here's something to think about. The deeper we connect with God, the deeper we will connect with each other. Let me explain that. The more I am connected to God, as his child, the more I see the connections I have with his other children. Think about this. I'm going to use John Woods, for example. I'm going to center him out, okay? Let's say, for example, John and I are both growing in our faith. As we grow deeper in our faith, what we're going to notice is this, is that we have a lot more connections because we're both children of God. If you think of a tree, above ground is the physical, Below ground is the spiritual. And as we grow deeper in our faith, we're going to realize that we have more in common when it comes to our being a child of God than we do above ground. And that's what's going to unify us. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. This takes work. If we want our roots to go deep, and our foundation to be strong, it means this, is that I need to be in his word. And I need to be on my knees on a regular basis. And I want to tell you this, and if I offend you, I apologize. 
Sunday morning isn't going to cut it. I know a lot of believers, the only time they get fed is Sunday mornings. They open their mouths and basically Pastor Donald, Pastor Glenn, or Pastor I, we kind of regurgitate what we've learned and and you, you just digest it. But the fact is, is you need to be on your knees on a regular basis. Because if you don't, you will not get the depth or the strength you need. It's difficult, but you're gonna realize it's worth the pain. It's worth the work. It pays off in the end. Because what you're gonna realize is this, is as I go deeper, I'm gonna have deeper connections with people in this church. Connections that no one can take away. Because they're connections we have as children of God, okay? Let me go to the second question. Second question is this. How selfless am I? Am I selfless in who I am? Humility is crucial in the way we, see, we, we perceive ourselves. It protects us from having an inflated or deflated image of ourselves where we think we're the greatest thing in the world to we're not good enough. And see, the great thing is this, is humility keeps us grounded in who we are before God. We're loved by him. And when we can go to that point, then, then what happens is it inspires unity because we realize we have common ground. Am I selfless when it comes to what I have? I really believe this. The kind of grip that we have on our stuff determines how God will use us. Think about it for a moment. It determines how generous you, how generous you are or how protective you are of your stuff. If your grip is tight on your stuff, you will have a hard time giving. You really will. But if you have an open-handed thing and you allow God to take things away, what you're going to notice is this. In the same way he takes away to bless others, he's going to keep blessing you. If you're you're tight-fisted, yeah, it's really hard for God to bless you. And so when it comes to our stuff, where are we? Are we tight-fisted or are we open-handed? We cannot let our selfishness get in the way of our selflessness. We have to have a healthy perspective on who we are and what we have because when we do that, what happens is it causes unity to grow. Last question, and wrap it up. First question is this, how solid am I? How selfless am I? And you can guess what the last question is, how sincere am I? I believe in the church today, listen to me please, there is a fear of being real and transparent. I wish it wasn't, but there is. It's a fear of being judged or ostracized because of something we might struggle with if we shared it. And the crazy thing is if you shared it, you would notice that we all struggle with it because we're all fallen, right? And so we don't share because we're afraid of being judged or ostracized. And so what happens is this, is we go in protective mode and we isolate ourselves. And every Sunday morning, yes, we come to church, but as we put our clothes on, our physical clothes on, we also put our spiritual mask on so that no one knows what really is going on because we're afraid if they get a glimpse of it, they may not want to be around us, they may judge us, they may say things that are very, very, very cruel. And what breaks my heart is this. This this has broken my heart as a pastor for many years, is I know that there are hurting people who come to church every Sunday morning. And guess what? They leave hurting people 
because there's no one that they feel they can share with. And I'm not saying you come up here and air all your dirty laundry. All I'm saying is this, is there someone that you trust enough to go, listen, I'm gonna be real with you if you can be real with me. You know, I always promote this when I'm up here because I think this is really, we do a men's group for dads. And I'll tell you something, the guys that are in it, we love it. And the reason why is we are so real with each other. I'm not Pastor Dave in that group, I'm just Dave. And we sit there and we say, okay, this is, what, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I need prayer. And the cool thing is this, is we've seen many times where guys have just come deflated. And so yeah, we have an idea of what we wanna talk about, but we just drop it. And the cool thing is this, and this may not be comfortable for some of you, but we'll lay hands on each other and pray. And these guys just lose it. And they're okay with it. Because I think all of us need a safe place. Acts chapter two, we see that this is not the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be isolated. We're not supposed to be protective. We're to, we need to love each other. And what that looks like is this. It means showing up in each other's lives, again, in a very sensitive and non-offensive way. It also means we can't be afraid to speak the truth in love. Now I wanna emphasize this, in love. All of us have no problem speaking the truth. What we struggle with is actually doing it in love. Well, it's just the truth. And the person's like, oh, right? Galatians says, speak the truth in love. Right? Now, I want to get this as well. I also believe unity is not just about speaking the truth in love, okay? But get this, it's about receiving the truth as well. Every one of us is gonna mess up. We're going to, right? And if, you, if we have someone in our lives who loves us enough to approach us on that, I think the way we respond is crucial, right? I've noticed in my own life, I'm speaking personally, I mess up. You're like, not you, Pastor Dave. Yes, I do. And I say stupid things, and you know what? If someone approaches me on that, and I know I'm wrong, because you know you're wrong, and you become defensive or make excuses for yourself, you know what happens? It destroys the unity between you. It really does. But if you, when someone approaches you, and you know it's done in love, because you know the person, because let's face it, to approach someone on something, you really gotta love them. Because if you don't love them, you just walk the other way and just ignore them, right? So I always think if, someone has the, if someone's willing to come and approach me, that means God's working in their heart. And so when they come to me, if I'm willing to own up to my mistake, never, if I had someone said, well, how dare you? They're like, whoa. Because I realize this, they don't expect me to be perfect. But when I can own up to what I do, what happens is this, and it's kind of crazy, but it actually strengthens the unity between us. So here's the question. It isn't whether or not we're gonna mess up. You're gonna mess up. That is a given. Just accept it. The question is this, is how you respond when you mess up and someone approaches you. That determines unity. Not about being perfect, but it's about accepting the fact that we are not perfect. Because perfection causes division. Look at the Pharisees. Being real allows us to become unified. So, 
the reason why Jesus prayed for unity when he prayed for us is because what God is calling us to as a church is huge. And Jesus understood this. We cannot do it alone. We can't. And so that's why Paul says that we are a body with different parts, but working together. Yes, we're different. That's a good thing. If we were all the same, that would be a very, very scary thing, wouldn't it? But we're different. With different gifts, different abilities, different things. But the cool thing is this, is the fact that these different people, as Christ as the head, can somehow come together and have unity, that blows the world away. Because everywhere else in the world, those differences clash. But in the church, they work together. Why? Because unity is evidence of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And that's powerful. But don't forget this, unity starts with me. So here's my challenge for you. I'm gonna be done in two seconds here. Here's my challenge for each one of us. And I hope you do this. I want you to choose one of those areas. What were the three words again? Solid? Okay, so maybe we need to go deeper with God. So you need to work on that whole idea of being solid. Maybe we need to be more selfless in who we are and what we have, so selfless is your thing. Or maybe we need to be more real and transparent with those around us, so sincere is what you're gonna work on. And whatever God impresses upon your heart, because I know, here's the thing, is if you're truly listening to God, okay, if you're truly listening to God, God has probably brought one of those to your mind and you're like, oh, okay. Please embrace it. Please do something about it. Don't just think about where you're going for lunch afterwards. Okay, work on it because I really believe this, that if we do it, if we work on those areas in the coming weeks, we are gonna see a difference. I believe this, that our unity will grow as a church. And the cool thing is this, it'll begin to spread. It'll begin to spread within our church, it'll begin to spread within our community, within our country, and within our world. That is why Jesus prayed for unity, because he knew how powerful it would be in a disunified world. When we live selflessly in a selfish world, that spreads. Let me end by saying this. Jesus understood it. The early church embraced it. Now, we need to believe it. And it's this, together, we are better.